0: Hey guys, today I have my friend uh, Ryan again, if you remember him from our earlier episode, and I'm also excited to have Amy on. Um, Amy, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Um, my name is Amy Neighbors and I live in Auburn, Alabama. I am a life coach and I also do team and leadership co- um, coaching using the Enneagram. I help people um, teams help people understand why they do what they do, and then I help teams and leaders understand themselves and their um, the people they work with and the people they lead, and hopefully help them with some of their people problems.
0: All right. So, spoiler: um, this episode is about the enneagram. Hmm. That's awesome.
2: So, a- Amy, how long have you been doing what you're doing? And maybe a better question right before that is. Uh, What got you into this work that you're doing right now?
1: Um, Well, I've been officially coaching and doing Enneagram workshops for about the past, let's see, I would say about the past two years, year and a half. But before that, I led Enneagram small groups through the church I was going to and led groups for about four years on that and then decided... I had enough people coming to me, asking me questions. I was like, Oh, maybe the, maybe I should look into coaching.
2: So Mm. that's awesome. Uh, Can you say a little bit more about the nature of those groups um, that you had? Were they just um, study groups or groups with the intention of doing inner work or what did that look like?
1: They started out as study groups. Um, We would read, uh, we, um, the road, the road back to you, by Ian Mm Cronin Suzanne Stabil was one we used, um, for a few semesters. Um, it would be usually be different people every, you know, every semester. And then I used, let's say one time we used, um, the sacred Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And then the more I did it, the more I realized I was like, well, there are other aspects of the Enneagram that I want to cover. And, um, so I wrote, it's not published. I just wrote it myself and kind of combined everything I thought would be helpful mm, in a, cool. you know, in a small group. And so I'm going to get back to working on that eventually in the next year or so. But um, so then kind of transitioned out of that and decided I in 2020, I decided I wanted to take a coaching course um, about the yeah. Enneagram. So I did that. And then and the, I did that in the fall of 2020. And then spent 2021 just trying to figure out, <laughs> What, how do I start? Where do where mm. do I start? What do I do? Mm. And, um, finally I did some, I did a workshop for a, a student ministry here in the fall of 2021. And then 2022, I decided to like formally make it a business, you know, created my LLC. And now I'm just, um, trying to get the word out, doing lots of networking through, um, with local businesses here and, mm. um, just trying to get it off the ground and up and going so it can become my full-time job.
3: Mm. Right,
1: It's kind of morphed into like, I do the workshops with teams and groups, but I also do more life coaching with using the Enneagram as the basis.
0: Mm. That's awesome. Gotcha. So, um, and you know, a lot of people are familiar with the Enneagram by now, but um, there's still a lot of people that are not. So you want to talk a little bit about what it is and how you can use it?
1: Yeah, it's um, a personality tool. I guess you could say some Enneagram teachers don't like calling it a tool, um, but it's a personality system, basically. But unlike the others like Myers-Briggs and the disk and the four colors and all the different ones, um, the Enneagram looks at why you do know what you do. Like, what are those underlying motivations that you may not even be aware of? And so, it looks at your core fears and your core motive, um, your core longings and core desires and core weaknesses. Because all of those, and I think especially that core fear, it impacts everything you do, it impacts your interactions, your reactions, your actions, your communication, your how you perceive communication. Um, that to me is the you know, the thing I've kind of focus on in the beginning is let's look at that and let's name that because once you name it you can start to i don't want to say overcome it but overcome it basically
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's that's really well said thanks for that overview okay. there um i'd be curious just as a follow up question um you know uh two part question first is um who are the primary uh types of individuals and or teams that you are finding have a lot of draw towards this right now mm-hmm. that you're working with a lot?
1: Um, really, it's teams that want to increase their emotional intelligence and self-awareness. Okay. You know, to kind of, you know, those soft skills mm-hmm. that you need to succeed in business and organizations, you know, leadership um individuals I think it's people mostly who are they're realizing that something's not working Mm. and maybe you know maybe they're tired burned out frustrated they stay frustrated with things and they just want they want that growth um and I try to tell them you know once you understand why you do what you do that's once you can become become aware of that and be mindful of it as you go through your day and your interactions and all that stuff, then you really see true transformation.
2: Mm. That's really good. Um, do you, have you experienced um, with the individuals who are more keen to actually pay attention to some of the inner workings and why they do what they do, why what is motivating them and Uh, For those who are able to get a little bit more clarity around that, do you find that people are generally willing to face, you know, those, that core fear or those several core fears, or do you find that people tend to put up some resistance to not actually wanting to look at it? Or what is your experience with that?
1: Um, It's funny. My friend Brandy and I were talking about this the other day when we were doing the small group, when we're doing the small groups, people want to. They want to understand themselves. They mm-hmm. want to know more about themselves, and then you have some when they come to that point where it's really doing the inner work. It's it's too much for them.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I say that without judgment. You know, yeah. we all yeah, come to a different point in our life. You know, I didn't get to that point till I was probably around forty. Mm. You know, I was just on autopilot through life and then stress and everything. And I was like, Oh, um, the Enneagram really opened up for me. It started with just wanting, like, I love personality things. I've always been a personality geek, you know, since Mm. college. And someone introduced me to the (laughs) Myers-Briggs. I was like, that is scary how that sounds like me. That's (laughs) just, that's a little like they've been reading my mail. Um, and so, you know, but then life happened. I got married, had a kid, you know, Just raising a family. And so it wasn't until the Enneagram. I discovered the Enneagram that I was like, oh. And when I first discovered the Enneagram, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, that says that about me. Yeah, sure. It makes me cringe when I really think about my shadow side. And I'm an Enneagram one. So when I'm not in a healthy Mm -hmm. place, I can become very judgmental and very critical. Um, And it was it was like God's way of leading me to um, inner work and con- the contemplative path very slowly. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so like I read about the Enneagram for a few years and then when I got to the point, I was like, I see how it shows me how i can be at my healthiest self, but why can't I get there?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Why can't mm-hmm. I get there? I'm aware mm-hmm. of this. I wear why I'm doing it. But the harder I try the more I fall into my shadow side. And that's when um, contemplative practices, you know, it was like, he was just waiting for me to ask that question. He's like, here, I'm going to show you some things. And so um, started learning about contemplative practices and started incorporating some of those. And that's where I saw the true transformation, you know, and not that—not not that I'm completely... Up here and at that level. You know, we all go through our average or healthy or unhealthy ladder about with our Enneagram type within, you know, we can do it within, you know, five minutes sometimes. And so, um, but it, it really led me to the, to the contemplative practices that have really just brought more peace, just brought more inner peace. And not that every day is. Com- completely peaceful with, you know, and me being able to be present and have that inner peace. But for the most part, that's, that's what it eventually brought me. And I'm so thankful.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I want to get back to the contemplative practices. But I was just curious, do you find that certain Enneagram uh, number types gravitate towards Enneagram and then some are like, or personality tests in general, and then some not as much?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I'm sure others who have been doing this longer than I have see that. Um, I can see where some some types have to really hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. before they really, really like, okay, hey, maybe this is what I need to look at and wake up to.
0: Right, right. Um, one thing I love about the Enneagram in general compared to some of the other personality tests is it's more dynamic um, in that, you know, like you already referenced, you know, when you're healthy, you gravitate towards more um, this other personality type and when you're unhealthy, um, a different personality type. And then also, you know, um, I think that good Enneagram teachers say that it's not just about being your your personality type, but... About learning other types and incorporating the positive things about them um, to help you grow, so that you can um, be more integrated, more whole, and also um, to help you understand some other personality types that may uh, trigger you, and yes. uh, do that inner work and, and figuring out why they trigger you, and then you know, likewise, understanding their positive sides and being able to appreciate them more.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And there's, you know, the Enneagram gives us paths. And so, you know, the basic paths, um, your growth and um, your stress and your growth numbers. Um, But what a lot of the basic Enneagram books don't tell you is you can go to the high side and low side of both those paths.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So... um, I know for me when I first learned that I was an Enneagram 1 and I started learning I have a 7 path and a, a path to 7 and a path to 4 and when I was learning about that 4 is my stress path and I could not understand because I was like but they're unique and they're creative and like I have some of those
0: mm, thank you aspects as <laughs> <I> a <said> 4 <laughs> <laughs>
1: I have some of those aspects you know some of those traits and I could not understand well if that's me going into stress, what am I supposed to do with this creativity what am I supposed to do with you know being unique and not being afraid to be unique and then it was later when I started diving deeper I realized, oh no, that's just I can go to the good the good aspects of that path too and so you know and then there's so many other other paths. When you go, you know, you go deeper, Hmm. that really incorporates so much, you know, you can really, you can be a little bit of several different numbers, Mm -hmm. several, you know, several different types. There's aspects I have of five, five's not on my path, but I have traits of a five, you know, and a nine and, you know, so you're more than just one number, Hmm. but you have a main dominant number, but you're more than just one number.
2: Right. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that was a good explanation there. Yeah, would like to, like Kendall said, um, get back to your explanation on the uh, your contemplative path and how that's developed for you. So could you just help us to have some insight into what were some of the practices that you really benefited from and uh, where has that brought you to today?
1: Um, for me, it started with centering prayer. Mm. And um, could also- you... I'm go sorry. Ahead.
2: I didn't mean to cut you off no, uh, just good. for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with centering prayer. Could you just give us a little glimpse into what that means?
1: Yeah. So centering prayer is like, is a meditative prayer, um, basically. And as you're meditating and or and sitting in that prayer, prayerful posture, you're trying to let go of your thoughts. Um, a lot of mindfulness practices and meditation practices, you are thinking through things but with um, centering prayer and hopefully no one out there is a centering prayer expert because I'm certainly not an expert. but um, it's learning to take, for me, I liken it to learning to take those cap- captives, most thoughts captive and let them go. Because when we hold on to some thoughts, that's where we that's what triggers this. That's where we can go into that stress path. And so centering prayer for me has been the, the top one, you know, I get up every morning and I do, um, you know, have a sit and do that. And it's the silence. It's just that silence to where you can actually hear yourself. And I also try to incorporate other aspects of contemplative, um, the contemplative path, like stillness and silence and solitude. Because I I firmly believe the world is too noisy and Mm. we're too hurried and we're too busy. And that keeps us from really becoming who we're truly meant to be because we can't hear. We can't hear God speak to us if we're so busy and hurried all the time.
3: Mm. And so
1: that truly Mm -hmm. really helped me get out of my, you know, out of my number, basically. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: It helped me grow toward that the growth and higher functioning aspects of my type.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. That's, that's funny. Um, I was just thinking back to my own path. Um, I think I learned meditation a couple years before I found the Enneagram. And so it was kind of a reverse in that, um, that, um, meditation helped me get in my body and slow down. So then I could start that introspection and really see myself and see, patterns and uh, really start to be able to benefit from the Enneagram and be able to uh, examine myself without running away from it. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. And that, you know, and that's the great thing about it is when you do find time for meditation and whether it's through centering, centering prayer or whatever type of meditation you want to do, it does help you connect all three centers
3: mm.
1: of your body, you know, and as a four, you're in the heart triad. Mm-hmm you know, um, I'm in the gut triad. And so I, I'm, I overthink things. It's not that I'm, I'm thinking repressed as a one. So it helps balance. I don't like the word you, I don't like to use the word balance. Um, cause I think balance is a myth. I think it brings harmony to all your centers. Mm. It helps you bring harmony to all three of your intelligence centers.
0: Right. Do you want to go into the three centers a little bit more and kind of explain them for the audience?
1: Yeah. So eight nines and ones are in the um, instinct or gut intelligence center triad. We tend to like, we'll say like, well, my gut tells me this is what I should do. Like, I don't know, but I just know. Mm -hmm. Those are, that's kind of what you'll get from eight nines and ones. And then twos, threes and fours are in the heart or feeling intelligence center triad. And, um, they're always you know their first thing is probably well, I feel that it's this way you know and the five six and sevens are in the head or thinking triad and each type, no matter you know where you are, you have it that's your dominant um But then you also have a repressed. Hmm. You have a dominant, a secondary and a repressed. Now we could get into the weeds a little bit because one number in each triad is, repressed in their dominant type that mm. may go a little deeper than we want to go with this but they take in with that intelligence center but they don't react or process with that intelligence center mm.
2: that's actually <clears throat> i was actually about to ask that um because my experience especially with the eight nines and ones is that uh, nines are dominantly repressed and their ability yes. to instinctually feel would that be accurate
1: yes yes nines Nines are, even though gut instinct is their dominant, it is also their repressed. Hmm. And then threes, even though feeling is their dominant, it's their repressed. And for sixes, Sixes. it's their dominant um, thinking is their dominant, but it's repressed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's actually really helpful. I mean, for any of, any of the audience or anybody who's thought about that at all, or knows anybody that leads from any one of those dominant types, that's pretty easy to, to see. Yeah. And it's pretty yeah,
1: because you, you take you take information in mm-hmm. you know with that intelligence center but you don't process or react
2: mm-hmm.
1: using that dominant center mm. and so so then it becomes you're repressed
2: mm. So how do you help um, someone and let's just use these examples since we've used them um, either the nine or the three or the sixth um, you know if you're working with somebody um, helping them to see the ways in which this plays out for them, um, how do you help them to be able to bring online the other uh, intelligence centers and to be aware of maybe um, some of the reasons and or avenues by which they have chosen to repress that or not utilize it um, to its full capacity? How do you help somebody walk through that?
1: Um, that's where we look at stances. And Suzanne Stabil teaches about stances a lot mm-hmm. um, and stance work. And that's recognizing your repressed you know, your repressed center and working to bring that repressed center up and doing that through contemplative practices, you know, um, and, you know, three types are, are, um, so the stance is you're either assertive. There's three numbers that are assertive. There's three numbers that are, um, dutiful. So they, you know, the assertive numbers They move against people to get their needs met. The dutiful people, they work, they try to work with people to get their needs met. And then you have Mm -hmm. the withdrawing and they withdraw to try to Mm -hmm. get their needs met. And so it's knowing your stance and knowing how you're interacting with people and how you move about in the world is very helpful because then you can recognize it, you know? And so um, ones, twos, and sixes are thinking repressed. It's not that we're not thinking We're always thinking, but it's unproductive thinking. Mm. Um, Let's see, I'm trying to think. I don't have them right in front of me. Um, Nines, fives, and fours are withdrawing. They withdraw. These need to help. They are um, instinct repressed. So they have to figure, they have to find ways to connect with their body to bring that Mm. instinct, that gut the body center up. And a lot of times with those types, it's really good to do movement, mindful movement. I know fives who enjoy yoga, um, other five, another five that enjoys Tai Chi, and it really helps them connect with their body more. And then you have the assertive, which is seven eights and threes. And these are the very driven people. And these are feeling repressed. They have to work on being aware of their feelings and acknowledging those and not Suppressing, not repressing them, and how to sometimes they come across as unfeeling, and they have to work on bringing that feeling up and recognizing the feelings of others and not being afraid of their own feelings.
0: Right. And do you want to talk about the uh, three dominant uh, negative emotions associated with the three different uh, centers?
1: Sure. Um, so, eight, nines, and ones, we deal with anger. <laughs> Um, for eights, their anger is pretty, it's pretty prominent. Like you see it. Um, Mm -hmm. nines repress that anger. Mm -hmm. They just fall asleep to it. Um, us ones, it turns into resentment and I have to check myself regularly. Am I becoming resentful because of this? And it's because I'm angry about Mm -hmm. something. Um, let's see twos, threes, and fours they all deal in some way with shame. And then fours, fives, and six, they all deal in some way with um, fear and anxiety. Uh,
0: sorry, you mean five, six, and seven? Five,
1: six, and seven. sorry. Um, five, six, and sevens, they deal, they deal with fear in different ways. It, it comes across, you know, it looks different in every type mm-hmm. that, you know, whether it's fear, shame, or anger, it looks different for every type.
0: Right, right.
1: I'm curious. You said you're a four. What are you, Ryan?
2: I I lead dominantly from five.
1: Okay. I have lots of fives and fours in my
2: life. That's great. Yeah. I'm sure we're very helpful for you (laughs) (laughs) or not either way. I don't know.
1: No, they're some of my favorite people.
2: That's great. That's great. Well, that was all a really helpful explanation in each of those different aspects. Um, I think, uh, a question that I would have um, for you since you have been walking through this both for yourself and also with others for quite a number of years now. Um, for some of us, and I know probably some of our listeners maybe have just come to this um, within the last couple of years or even just this year, um, would like to just get a feel f- from you on how does your your inner work, your awareness of the dynamics that are at play within you, how has that um, shifted as you've worked with it over the years to where you are now? I can I can feel and I know that you're a lot less, um, you know, stuck within particular kind of ways of thinking or ways of being. So, what does that? How have you experienced that? If you want to use the word expansion or Um, maybe a little bit more fluidity or less rigidity. Um, What does that feel like for you now? What does that, what does inner work look like for you now after having done a lot of years of work?
1: Um, It's most of the time I'll say most of the time, because none of us are perfect, but most of the time I think it gives me a greater compassion for others. And I Mm. can think, Instead of, you know, instead of getting frustrated about something, it um it usually makes me stop and go, why are they doing that?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I may not know their type, but I know there's an underlying why mm. as to why they're doing whatever they're doing. So it has helped in that respect um, in a lot of ways. Sure, there's also, there's always relationships or everything you still need to work on that will be a continual work in progress. But... Um, and I think the biggest thing that has helped me is it has helped, give, helped me give myself more compassion.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It has really helped me give myself more compassion. As an Enneagram one, we all have an inner critic.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: As an Enneagram one, I have a really, really loud inner critic that has told me my whole life that I'm not good or I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And naming that, And acknowledging that when that inner critic comes up and acknowledging it with compassion has made the biggest difference Mm. in my life, hands down. And I think that in turn, most of the time, there are still situations where that resentment and frustration gets, you know, isn't quite where it needs to be. But um, that helps me be more compassionate to others and try, at least try to understand them. It's helped me get out of that. um, Dualistic mindset of, well, that's good. And this is bad. You know, we, ones can tend to be black and white thinkers. Mm. And so it's helped me get to the point where I see a lot more gray. Mm. And so I think that would be the biggest is just having more compassion for myself. Because when you don't have compassion for yourself, you can't grow Hmm. because that's going to keep holding you back.
2: Yeah. Beautifully said. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, A corollary to that question that just comes up in my mind as you were talking is um, as you're walking with particular individuals through that, through that recognition of, inner dynamics and they're, you know, helping them with an ability to have that self-compassion. Um, I know some of the practices that we've mentioned, um, uh, do not always align well with somebody's disposition. You know, most people just have a, an upfront and I think egoic, but upfront reaction to silence or to meditation or anything like that. Um, have you found for somebody who, um, perhaps need to, needs to get more in touch with, with their instincts or their body and to to pay attention to how they feel, even just in their body. Um, what types of practices have been helpful? Um, have you been able to work with people in that area that have been helpful?
1: I think it's important to figure out what works for you. Okay. You know, some people, you know, like I have one five friend who loves yoga I have another five friend who despises yoga, but loves Tai Chi. (laughs) Hmm. So it's really important to try, you know, give it some time, Mm -hmm. you know, don't just try it once and quit, Mm -hmm. but that's also, that's also part of the process is learning when you need to, instead of going with, well, I just don't want to do this, you know, that's, that back part of your brain, you know, the reptilian part of your brain doesn't want to work. It just wants to be on autopilot. Mm -hmm. So you really have to engage your prefrontal, you know, part of your brain that is the higher thinking and do the hard work.
3: Mm.
1: It's not, and not that, you know, some people may not like centering prayer, but they may enjoy Lexia Divina, or they may get more out of the prayer of examine at night, or just, you know, examining their day at the end end of the day and it doesn't even have to be religious, you know, in any way. It's just being mindful and taking that time. And I'm kind of part of um my coaching and that my coach that I work with has helped me pull out is I'm a bit of a rebel. Like you knowing me you wouldn't think that but I think people need to slow down mm. and take time. Um, now some people I just I think the world is spinning so fast and we're inundated with noise whether it's from TV or podcast or the radio or you know whatever we have to find time or we can't know ourselves we can't know ourselves if we're constantly inundated with noise and so my coach likes to tell me you're a rebel you you want people to be countercultural mm. and do the hard things and i you know and that's that's part of what i coach on it's like how what do we need to what do you need to say no to what in culture is you know that makes you think you need to do this or this or this while those things can all be good they're not bad but maybe you need to remove those for a se- for at least a season and slow down and rest and listen, you know, and gain some clarity on some things. Um, but how you do it can be—it's, you know, some people may not like sitting there for centering and centering prayer for twenty minutes. You know, for me, I've had to make centering prayer work for me. I get up in the morning to do my centering prayer, and while centering prayer purists are like, "Well, it needs to be a twenty-minute sit," my body. If it gets up in the morning and it meditates for 20 minutes, it's going back to bed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 10 minutes is my, is my like sweet spot. And while I would love to sit there for 20 minutes, it just brings me into such a calm state that I just feel like going back to bed. So Mm -hmm. that's not helpful when I need to be getting about my day. And so I think it's finding what works for you and what works for you and finding that stillness and that silence and that solitude, that's going to look different for everybody. And, you know, in my coaching, I, I share with them, I give them the options. I walk, you know, listen to them, what works for them, and then encourage them to try different things. Like let's try this for a week. Let's try this for a week. What works for you?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And just finding those ways to incorporate the silence, stillness and solitude in ways that work for you
0: right i think um i think, you know we mentioned some movement base like yoga tai chi and some um you know silent meditation stuff like that i think maybe for some people uh maybe more the, the depression types um some things like uh journaling or even just like a good one-on-one deep conversation to kind of um help them examine what what's going on in their thoughts for me you know it's, it's meditation because My thoughts are very apparent (laughs) and so I need to slow them down. And, uh, but, but some people might need to uh, bring those up some more, um, in a, in a slower, safe, uh, way.
1: Right. Yeah. It might look like journaling. You know, one of the things I try to do most mornings is, um, a journaling practice called morning pages. And it's just writing again, the person who created this said three pages of longhand, some mornings I can only get in one. And so you know, but journaling longhand works for a lot of people. It doesn't work for other people, but that's a good practice. Um, and different types need, you know, eights, nines, and ones. We need stillness more Mm -hmm. because we're in that doing that gut, that instinct we're used to doing. And then twos, threes, and fours, they need solitude. Mm -hmm. They need to practice solitude, um, because they, that shame, emotion that is dominant with them is often image based in different ways. And so they need to remove the temptation to be putting forth an image. And then five, six, and sevens, they need silence. And it's not necessarily like most fives I know are completely happy in silence, like with no noise and being by themselves. But oftentimes for the, the head triad, the thinking triad, it's, um, silence in your, in your head.
3: (laughs) Mm-hmm.
1: which mm-hmm. is why meditation, especially centering prayer is helpful for them. So they can, they learn and practice to let go of those thoughts.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I'll say, uh, for me, um, learning about the Enneagram and learning shame was, was a thing, uh, you know, dominant for me and, uh, you know, just, uh, the, the need to be unique and, and, and special and be, be understood. was just so rev- revolutionary. And, um, like you said, um, finding that, Um, solitude and and working through that shame, kind of doing, you know, uh, parts work or, or, um, you know, psychology, like what, where did the shame come from? Um, A lot of that uh, in childhood. And so um, that was big. Yeah. Um, And so also learning about my personality and learning um, to deal with that shame, because I thought that, you know, I was supposed to be like all these other personality types, which, which is, is good, but I can be proud and celebrate, um, you know, like you talked about the creativity and the uniqueness of of my own personality. And so, um, what would you say to others about, um, not just the shadow side, but, but their gifts and celebrating that as well?
1: Yeah. Each Enneagram type has, they share a unique, um, a unique gift with the world, you know, On top of their strengths and their, you know, their strengths and their gifts, they do have this one unique strength. You know, ones, it's, um, they show God's goodness. Twos, they show God's kindness. Threes, they show God's productivity. Fours, they show God's creativity and uniqueness. Fives, they show God's wisdom. Sixes, they show God's um, loyalty. Sevens, they show God's joy. Eights, they show God's strength. And nines, they show God's peace. And so each type has this beautiful gift that they can share with the world. And what I like to lead people through is also looking at their spiritual gifts and their strengths. Like, what are those? And that, you know, that strength of their type will come through and however they, you know, however they use their strengths and their gifts. And, you know, maybe someone has the gift of hospitality and and there are two and that is, because they are, you know, they have open hearts and open their homes and but especially the open heart, they are able to share with people that kindness that God's given them to share with the world. And so each type has something like that. They, you know, we each have a strength and we all have spiritual gifts and those, once we understand our Enneagram type and why we're doing what we're doing and we work to really um, function at that higher level, we do the inner work and the practices that we need to really get to that point where we are living from a place of peace and and from our highest functioning self and our, our Enneagram type with that peace. That's when our purpose reveals itself and that's revealed through our strengths and our gifts. And that's where we ultimately can share with the world that beautiful aspect of God's image that he that our Enneagram type can serve people with.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I was just curious, um, in coaching with your clients, do you find it more beneficial to focus and work on the shadow side first or their gifts first?
1: The first thing we do is we, we look at our the core fears.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So more of that shadow side, because you have to name it. Mm. You have to name it. Um, cause when you name it, it starts losing its power.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not that, you know, um, who's it? Carl Jung, he talks about the shadow side and you can't get rid of it. It's there. And so, but naming it and recognizing it and not acknowledging it, um, it starts to lose its power over you. And mm-hmm. so that's what we start with first. And I'm always very careful to, I want to encourage people. So we in the beginning, it's kind of like cringeworthy, like, oh, that's really me. But I always try to remind them, hey, this is the gift you bring to the world. With your Enneagram type, this is the gift you bring to the world. So it's easy to really focus on the negative, you know, shadow side part of it. But um, so we start with that. That's where I start, because I feel like that once you on that, it empowers you. Once you name that, it empowers you to really move into your gifts and strengths.
3: Hmm.
2: Yeah, that's that's really well said. And that part of my experience with it myself and with other people also is that um, the gift in a way appears to emerge, I mean, like a diamond from the coal and the darkness of the the shadow side, doesn't it? Um, because I mean, think about You know, uh, several twos that I know, my wife included. um, You know, incredibly good at hospitality and at thinking of what other people need and of moving to help help them even before they need it, etc. Now, you know, the the challenge is, of course, sometimes uh, when it's not known, when it's not named, as you said, um, it can be from a motivation that is not quite as healthy as one might want it to be. Um, But still their ability to show up in that way is amazing. And it almost feels that for each of these gifts that they, they become more powerful um, when they lose their, uh, the, 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 the motivation that is in the wrong direction. Um, when they're able to operate from a place of fullness, they become even more powerful than they were before. Um, but I like, as you said, <clears throat> to begin with naming um, the ways in which it's a little bit more complicated than some people think. Um, because part of my experience has been um, people, I think generally just by way of a disassociative kind of defense mechanism, um, tend to say, no, I'm, I'm really good at all these things because I've chosen to be and I'm, I'm whatever, you know, and um, and then maybe these other things or I have some unhealthy motivations over here. That's fine. But to be able to see the way in which they've all worked together the whole time and that one has flowed from the other or rather that they've just been in, in, entangled for a long time and to be able to untangle them, like you said, by naming them and to be able to see the gift that emerges from that. That's, that's really beautiful.
1: Yeah. I think you said it very well. I think that's a really, I, I may steal that from you. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. entangled. That's a really good, a really good visual of it. It is, you know, they can become entangled especially when we're, we're you know, like for twos um, and I have a two wing. So I do have some of those aspects sometimes um, that's characteristics sometimes is what's the motivation behind me helping. Mm-hmm. And that's where it comes from. Like it's, it's your heart posture in that motivation. And, you know, I think people know like where that motivation is coming mm-hmm. from, you know, it's almost like a invisible energy um, mm-hmm. that is there. And so they know when you're, you know, people know when your motivation's not, not from an altruistic heart stance basically mm-hmm. is, is what I would kind of how I would put it. But yeah, exactly. But I like that word entangled. That's a really good description, description mm. of it.
0: Right. And, um, you know, you talked about how, uh, you know, before people might do the inner work or know about personality tests, they would just assume that they have altruistic motives. Um, flip side, some people might um, just think that, you know, like like fours, you know, or, or, or my triad be immersed in shame and just think that, um, we're working from the opposite from, you know, negative, There's not uh, anything good about us. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it's true. just recognizing the patterns in both the, the good and bad and finding that, um, the balance.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one thing that Enneagram has helped me is with my, um, knowing where my worth comes from, Like before I discovered the Enneagram, you know, and that inner critic that tells me I'm not good enough or I'm not good. That really affected my self-worth and knowing where my worth came from, because I thought it in that living out of that fear, out of my core fear. I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not worthy of doing that. I'm not, I'm not good enough to do that. And that has really drive, you know, the self-compassion part. And knowing that has really helped me know that my worth, I am worthy just because I exist, not because of what I do or, you know, I'm worthy just because I am, not because of what I do or what I accomplish or all those things. And so it also does help you in that respect and it can really help you in your mindset.
0: Mm, Right. Yeah, that's really well said. And I'll say just um, the Enneagram, you know, I, I would say that uh, you know, God created us. And so we're all, um, parts of God and, and, and display elements of who he is. So, um, learning about the anagram in general has helped me learn more about God. And, um, you can say the diversity of who God is, uh, or just knowing him better through, through people and their different personalities and, and, uh, just, uh, a, a bigger, more whole perspective.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. It, it kind of, and it does help you take God out of the box because you kind of, some, you know, I think before you realize it, you're thinking, well, I think this, so God must think that. Mm (laughs) It's like, that's very egotistical, but, you know, um, we really get a clearer picture of who God really is.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, By the same token or on the reverse side, um, do you work with many individuals um, who don't have a, or by their by their own words, they don't have a spiritual um, inclination or way of thinking, Um, certainly not religious, um, maybe identify more like on the agnostic or atheistic uh, spectrum. Um, How would you if you have, um, how would you help um, those individuals to articulate or to be aware of the intrinsic value and worth that they have?
1: Yeah, I have a couple of people that I've um, one I don't uh, I know her and we work together cause I have an, another job on top of my coaching. Um, and she is, she considers herself agnostic. Um, but she's very into learning about herself and learning about the Enneagram and learning how she can grow spiritually. Hmm. Um, she's just not religious. Mm-hmm. Um, and another person who is not religious And so I think it's the same, you know, um, for me, I would probably not phrase things a certain way, you know, to respect their, their opinions Mm -hmm. and their viewpoints, but we're all, we're all humans and it works for us, whether, whether we're religious or not, I don't consider myself religious, um, definitely, but I definitely am spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't find that I'm not dogmatic about stuff. So I find that that helps right. a lot, yeah. you know, whether they look at it as God or the universe or however they look at it. Um, it resonates with them still.
0: All right. Uh, and going back to that, the word dogmatic while, while we were talking about all this I was just thinking about um kind of how uh, the word sin in religion has been a little hijacked I would say and um the Enneagram just helps you get a less dogmatic perspective and not just like oh hey someone is sinning and they need to repent it's a little more like okay what is what is their personality what is their patterns where is this coming from and um not just like they're intentionally just trying to be evil you could say, but Hey, this is a pattern that they, they go to based on their personality based on, you know, maybe their past and the traumas and stuff like that. And so how can we look at this more deeply and, um, how can we help help them or, um, or understand them better and give them more empathy and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. When you understand why, I mean, to me, it's going back to why, why, Are they doing that? Mm -hmm. And not just, well, they're doing this and it's wrong. Yeah, sure. It may be wrong, but you're not going to get them to change Mm -hmm. just by telling them that. Right. You know, you're not going to get them to change by beating them over the head with, you know, a bat telling them they're wrong or that what they're doing is wrong. But if you can have more sympathy and compassion for them and understand why understand, and they may not even understand their why they may need to, you know, do the work to understand their why, you know, and that's not to say that sometimes it's not, especially if you have to deal with people like that on a regular basis, it's not necessarily easy, (laughs) but that's where I think being very present and mindful of that can help.
2: Yeah, that's well said. And that makes me think, um, you know, one of the patterns just in general that I've noticed, um, with a few, I won't say clients, more like friends, um, who consider themselves to be atheists, um, and with complete appreciation and respect for them and who they are and, and what they do, um, in the world. One of the things I've noticed is that, um, they on the whole, or I'll speak for these two friends, um, these two friends, um, on the whole, um, tend to root themselves, um, who they think they are um, in alignment with um, their their strengths what they see as strengths. And they, I think, have, have experienced a lot more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, angst around recognizing that maybe the gifts are not as through and through, um, clearly um, denoting the positives about them as they thought. Um, for for the exact reasons as the conversation we just had, as it relates to um, how some of the motivations are slightly slightly more muddled than I think we we all thought they were, um, and they seem to or I'll speak for these two friends, they <clears throat> they receive that with a lot more um, resistance, and it was really hard because of. Um, That's where they were rooting their, their sense of self and Mm -hmm. their, uh, you know, as Ernest Becker says, their self-esteem maintenance was oriented around these positive aspects that they um, were aware of in themselves and more keen to not pay attention to the, the not so great aspects. Whereas on the other side, you know, a few Christian friends I've noticed um, are a little bit more on the side of pretty, pretty willing and eager to say that I'm the worst in every way. Um, just because that's what we hear in religious circles and a lot of churches, um, you know, you're you're the worst, your are sinner, et cetera, et cetera. So people are really willing to say that really fast and a little bit less um, able to see the ways in which they are they are deeply worthy and valuable, like you just got done saying. Um, I find those both of those ditches to be interesting mm-hmm. ditches to be in, and uh, it seems like some people need a little bit more of one thing mm-hmm. um, to help them to bring them more into harmony. And another, another person needs a bit of the opposite, which is very right. interesting.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It re- it really does come back to that. Why? And our worth, where mm-hmm. are we basing our worth? And if we're basing our worth out of the fear, our mm-hmm. core fear, you know, that's, then we don't have that, we don't know where our true worth comes from.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it, and you have a hard time being willing to look at it and being willing to, to integrate and to move forward. Yeah, that's
1: right, and a lot of that, times that's overcoming things we have been told mm-hmm. our entire life. You know, um, depending on you know if you grew up in a certain denomination of church mm-hmm. that was based out of fear. You know, the message is you know the message was always based out of fear that's absolutely going to affect your worth and mm-hmm. how you view your worth. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly.
2: Yeah. Well said. Thanks, sir.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, is there any uh, nuggets of wisdom you want to leave the audience with <laughs> that we haven't covered?
1: Um, I think the only thing I would say is it is um, it's slow work. Mm. You're not going to just learn about it and all of a sudden, boom, be, you know, be transformed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The transformation is slow work, but I think it is good work and I think it's holy work and it's absolutely
2: worth doing. Mm. That's beautifully well said and an important point. Uh, I think both for myself and for everyone I talk to, it does seem to be the case that we're very keen to read a book. And once we have the cognitive knowledge about it, we think that we're, you know, we've progressed, um, when in truth, absolutely not. And so hearing that it's slow work is, is absolutely true in my experience. And I appreciate you saying that.
1: Yeah. It just, you know, it's slow work, but it brings, it brings peace and it brings purpose.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. Thanks for that. Can we ask, how can we and any of our listeners, um, get in touch with you or find your work or your coaching?
1: sure uh, my website is growthessentialscoaching.com okay. and you can find me on instagram at essentials,
0: LLC perfect great make sure I put that in the notes um yeah I want to thank you for coming on I really appreciate it uh you made me learn some new things about the instagram I didn't even know about um, and just sharing your wisdom and again thanks for joining me Ryan always uh great to talk to you and Mm -hmm. have you on. I
1: appreciate it so much. Thank y'all so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Great. Thank you, Amy.